You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. My name's Sean Stevens, and before we start The Good GP, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands upon which this podcast is recorded. This episode is brought to you from the lands of the Wajuk and the Wurundjeri people. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Leaping straight into it, my guest today is Dr Michelle Dutton, the inaugural chair of the newly minted Trans and Gender Diverse Healthcare Specific Interest Group, or SIG. This SIG was born out of the desire for GPs working in this area to have a collegiate space. And I should acknowledge that I'm Michelle's loyal deputy chair. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me on today. Great. So, Michelle, please explain for our listeners, what are the goals of the SIG? Yeah, I think the goals of the SIG sort of at their core is about trying to work towards a situation where trans and gender diverse people can visit their GP and know that they're going to be able to be accepted and affirmed in their gender and know that they'll have their healthcare needs met. But we're only able to get there if we can create a space where GPs can feel confident and empowered in delivering that healthcare. Um, And we get there really by connecting and helping each other and we're really keen to promote and build communities of practice, be able to work together and share information, bring together some really good resources and education for GPs in this area, something a lot of GPs have mentioned they would really um, benefit from. And then more broadly, some sort of advocating for better systems to support trans and gender diverse people. Yeah, look, uh, that's great. With the rise in gender diverse people, most GPs are going to have some gender diverse patients. How can the average GP get some upskilling in this area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think this can be a space that feels quite intimidating when people first step into it because we don't get training as part of our medical school or even for most of us, our GP training. So we often do feel like a beginner again midway through our career, which is a bit unsettling. Uh, The SIG is creating a trans and gender diverse healthcare page on GP learning, which all RSC GP members will be able to access. We've got a few resources there already that it is still in its early days. Um, We're hoping to add a lot more and make it a real treasure trove of information and eventually also be able to create a space where members of the SIG can communicate with each other and, and share information more directly. Other great places to get information, especially if you are starting out in this area and just really want to get in on the ground floor, is Trans Hub, which was created by ACON in New South Wales. Um, it's a really accurate, up-to-date resource and super user-friendly. It's just a really fun site to have a noodle around and glean some information. And it's a resource you can also direct patients to. There's, there's advice that's pitched to both clinicians and to patients. And uh, I guess for GPs that want to learn a bit more about gender-affirming hormone therapy, which um, I certainly have a lot of GPs mention that they're interested in in knowing more about. We've got some really good resources with the OSPATH Informed Consent Standards of Care and also the Equinox Guidelines, which were the, the first guidelines to come out in 2017. Um, and most importantly, you can join the SIG. I think that's going to be one of the best ways to keep up with these sort of educational opportunities that we're, we're hoping to be creating in the in the coming months. Mm, Look, definitely. And certainly as a newbie to this area, I'm someone who's learnt a heap and it's amazing the resources that are out there. And it's actually not that complicated, really, you know, and there's so many people are willing to help you. It's a really, really good community. Absolutely. What are some of the future challenges that you see for gender diverse care and general practice? Yeah. I mean, I think we face a lot of the same challenges that um, we do in any area of healthcare 
where it's important that we provide holistic and person-centred care, that sort of slow medicine, as it were, in that that's often not necessarily you know, funded or valued as well as it should be. But I think more specifically within trans healthcare, a lot of the challenges that we face really stem from disinformation and fear about trans identities and trans healthcare and what that is and what that looks like. There's a lot of myths that stigmatise and harm trans people and then vicariously can cause GPs and other healthcare providers to feel quite anxious about providing care and what that's going to mean for them. We hear a lot about people feeling quite anxious about the perceived medical legal risks in trans healthcare. I think we can be really reassured in that regard by the fact that actually all the major MDOs have really emphatically endorsed GP-led care for trans adults, including initiating gender-affirming hormone therapy, and have actually talked about the fact that the consent process around it is really robust and really person-centred and really kind of the sort of gold standard that they would expect any form of healthcare. So, yeah, provided that, you know, you're working to the current standards of care and keeping connected and up-to-date with the area, then, then you're going to be fine and you're going to do a lot of good as well. I think there can be a challenge in finding other healthcare providers. So, you know, perhaps if you're trying to refer a patient to a non-GP specialist or a mental health clinician or an allied health provider, sometimes it can be really hard to know or find someone who you know is going to be gender affirming, to be able to meet the patient's needs. And that can be really challenging because then I think you sometimes feel like, you know, you're trying to assemble a healthcare team to get the best outcomes from your patient that where do you and where did the patient go for someone that's going to be able to help them? Mm. And I think that's where the recommendations of more experienced clinicians or GPs in your area can be really, really valuable. Yes. I know I've reached out to a number of other GPs here in WA. There, there's a whole network, this sort of underground network and this secret lists. And as soon as you start having a bit of an interest in the area, the trans community find out about it and all of a sudden you're getting more and more people. And one of my trans patients shared a conversation that was had online, de-identified, about some of the care that one of the other GPs in our practice was doing. And it was really heartwarming how much it, it has changed people's lives. And you don't, you know, sort of realise how much good you can do in what seems like a fairly standard sort of consultation. I think that's a really, really important point. I think a lot of us as doctors being, you know, we have very high standards for ourselves and we don't like the idea of of getting something wrong or making a mistake. And there can be this real fear about like, what if, what if I do this wrong? But I think really trying to reframe that with, you know, what are the things that I can do right here? We have a lot of power to just do some really simple things that are going to make patients feel really safe and really really cared for and just really improve their experience of the healthcare system. So, yeah, as you said, there's, there's a huge amount of good you can do with what would just seem like very, um, you know, very easy run-of-the-mill things, making sure you're using the right name, pronouns, those kind of things. Mm. And I think also, you know, if you've known the person as they're growing up, say, from, you know, when they're a, a teenager or child and you've you've got that relationship with them, then having the ability to be able to help them, you know, navigate that journey like we do through so many other journeys in life, it's just you, you I think you can do a better job than a stranger who happens to specialise in gender affirming care. Absolutely. So we, we're sort of increasingly trying to move away from framing trans identities and trans medical care as being around treating an illness, you know, being trans is a normal part of human experience. And GPs are great at 
doing medical care that's not about treating disease, but is about meeting a person's needs and being able to help them thrive and live the best lives that they possibly can. So, yeah, it sits really beautifully within our skill set. Definitely. So within trans and gender diverse healthcare, we hear a lot about the concept of gender affirmation or gender affirming care. What does affirming someone's gender actually mean and what does a gender affirming GP look like? Yeah, great question because I think this term, there's there can be some misconceptions about what the term gender-affirming care means and it is often conflated with the idea of medical treatment, hormones or surgery. So the idea being that if you're providing gender-affirming care, you are providing some kind of medical treatment. And gender-affirming care is much broader than that. So certainly those things will sometimes form a part of someone's gender affirmation. Um, and I guess just to go back a step, affirmation or the idea of a, someone affirming their gender is a term we're trying to move towards rather than using the word transition. So transition very much implies this sort of binary of moving from one thing to another or someone fundamentally changing. And a lot of trans people would rather describe the idea of like, well, this is who I've always been. I'm just now able to express it and show that to the world. But yeah, I think being gender affirming starts with accepting that what someone tells you about their gender is valid. So not sort of having um, a sort of interrogatory approach. Um, There really shouldn't be any obligation um, on anyone, you know, trans or cisgender um, to sort of prove their gender identity. As cis people, we're not asked to do that and trans people shouldn't be either because you know how could anyone else other than the person really really know that I think in its simplest form being a gender affirming GP just really starts with listening to the patient and believing the patient and then you know calling people what they want to be called following their lead around language and around their healthcare needs there can obviously be a lot more to it than that but if you if you do those things and you do them consistently you'll be on really solid ground and you'll develop a great doctor patient relationship yeah look that's awesome Thanks, Michelle. It's been a real pleasure chatting, as usual. There are a few events coming up with a new SIG. There's a meetup happening at Wonka. Can you tell us a little bit about that and some of the other things that are planned for the SIG moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So at Wonka, we're planning a bit of a breakfast catch-up. Wonka is very chock-a-block with events, so our space was a bit of premium, but we're going to try and do a breakfast catch-up at 7.30, somewhere near the convention centre on the Saturday morning. I realise it's the night after the gala day and some people will be jet lagged. So it'll be, you know, low key, low pressure, through coffee and just meeting with some people and meeting with some other people who are passionate about providing this care. As you mentioned before, developing those connections and working in collaboration really makes it much easier to provide this care and just makes it a lot more rewarding as well. So really worthwhile doing. Specific place will be depend on the size of the group we have Ultimately, if you sign up to the SIG and watch out for your emails, well, I'm going to look at sending out a, a bit of a newsletter in the next couple of weeks uh, around how you can express your interest in joining that. Great. And tell us again, Michelle, how do we sign up for the SIG? Yes. So you sign up for the SIG by emailing the specific interest faculty, gpsi at racgp.org.au, and just mentioning that you'd like to be part of the TGD SIG. Great. Excellent. Okay. Well, look, thanks again, Michelle. Thanks for your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at Wonka. Thank you so much for having me on, Sean. Thanks for listening to the Good GP Podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. 
If you have any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, send an email to thegoodgp at gmail.com. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of The Good GP, hosts and guests of the show. The content is aimed at general practitioners working in the Australian context and is not intended to represent medical advice. Any listeners experiencing symptoms or who have concerns about their health should seek advice from a registered health professional. We make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate and up to date at the time of recording, but welcome any feedback or corrections. The content of this podcast is general in nature and does not refer to specific patient management. We recommend all health professionals review local and up-to-date guidelines prior to any clinical decisions.